Welcome to the PVYA Orthodox Youth Podcast. We're here at St. Herman's Conference in Vineland, New Jersey. My name is Sasha Trebetskoy, and I'm here with Luke, who is a second-year seminarian at Jordanville. Um, did I introduce you right? Is that is there Absolutely, more to the story? Absolutely, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, Holy Trinity Orthodox Seminary in Jordanville. Uh, yeah, year number two, and uh, it's going well. Thank God. Awesome, awesome. And how many more years? It's a four-year? Yeah, four-year program for the undergraduate. Great. Great. Yeah. So, so I brought Luke in to talk a little bit about this interesting phenomenon that's been happening lately, and it's affected me, and it's affected uh, many people that I know, especially very personally, who are converts to orthodoxy. And this is basically what what I call, and what some other people call, sort of online orthodoxy. So it's this space or this discussion online about orthodox apologetics, theology, symbolism. I mean, it's a, it's a wide-ranging discussion, but it's something that I think has really gotten more and more intense in the last couple of years. And so Luke has spent some time in sort of the info space, if you can call it that, and in some of these discussions. And I'm personally just interested in learning more about kind of what's going on and, and sort of the lay of the land in terms of the discussion, and then maybe some of the pros and cons, right? Because it certainly brings people closer to the church and, and gets people thinking about, about church topics. Um, but there might be some some negatives as well. So uh, I guess, Luke, we can start maybe. What do you think is is sort of what's happening? I mean, is is it real, right? Is oh, online yeah. orthodoxy thing? It's all real. It's all real. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing of it is, I think what a lot of people who have an online presence in any way uh, struggle with is connecting the bridge between their social media life and their real life. Sure. Um, I sure. think it's easy sometimes maybe for some uh, lines to be blurred and to forget, you know, where yeah. we are. And this is true in an orthodox context, uh, context but also just in general, right? Absolutely. That's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, it's important to, to remember, uh, you know, when we're online, how we're conducting ourselves, right? And would we be proud if we were saying these same things, you know, in, in a pair setting? Interesting. Uh, and how are we evangelizing and properly, uh, you know, discussing our faith in online forums? Uh, obviously, I think the biggest one that uh, a lot of us go to is Twitter, and I think that's kind of you know where online orthodoxy exists. Interesting. In, in, so I didn't I, I didn't know that because yeah. I'm a Twitter user myself, and I guess I see kind of like these Byzantine accounts. Yeah, yep, yep, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Um, but I didn't realize that was. So you're saying that's one of the primary uh, areas, actually? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, you got Twitter. You got Discord. Um, you know, a lot of these different places. Right. Right. And uh, and it really, it's a great place to facilitate discussion. Sure. Um, you know, I, I've met several friends online who are you know, very intelligent people, and they love the faith. They take it seriously, and they want to be able to do more in the real world when it comes to their faith. A lot of these people are... Uh, parishioners at parishes very far away from their homes. Unfortunately, uh, especially in the Russian church abroad, it's not like there's a church in America on every corner. Absolutely. And, you know, like we're not Catholics, you know? Sure, that's <laughs> and, right. Or, and we're not also, also, we're not in Russia. We're not in Greece, you know, where there is an Orthodox church on every corner. Yes. And so these people, they want an outlet for their faith. They want to be able to talk about it and to uh, be able to appreciate it in its fullest sense, you know, uh, in their parish life. So I think that a lot of us end up seeing these online spaces as an extension of the parish life. Okay. And I think that's a healthy way to look at it. And, um, you know, you have 
not only lay people online, but you have a lot of priests, you have a lot of deacons, right? Uh, right you know, members of the right. clergy in general who get is involved. Is it is it more? Would you say it's more laity versus priests? How would you characterize that I demographic? Would. Yeah, I, I'd say there's there's probably more laity, and a lot of that might just come down to an age thing, um, because you know there there are a lot of a lot of our priests, uh, you know, are on the older side, and you know sure. that's something where they might not be as familiar with using their phones or using something like Twitter in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it might be a little bit of a concern to them, and something that takes some time for you know getting used to. Sure. But very stereotypical, but but ultimately somewhat true, at least uh, at, at this point in time. Right? Absolutely. Maybe in the future things might kind of evolve as as technologies get more accepted. Right. But uh, yeah, and and so so you mentioned Twitter, you mentioned Discord. Uh, for me personally, I think YouTube is a place Absolutely. where I and I mean a lot of people go for for content discussions, analysis, right? Um, is is there anything maybe beyond that or? Yeah. Uh, oh my goodness. That, well, everywhere, right? Every, it's, 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 it's all over it's, the It's place. really everywhere. Okay. As far as YouTube goes, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, yeah. You know, we have a lot of uh, fantastic uh, thinkers out there oh, on, yeah. on YouTube and a lot of people who I myself listen to, who my friends listen to. Um, and, you know, there's, there's always... Uh, um, something to be discussed. And I think that it's good to listen to some of these uh, people who have shows or podcasts or whatever else on, on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whatever it might be, because they, they do have something good to say. And it's uh, I've, I've found myself benefiting a lot. I mean, there are uh, several several different users out there. Um, and uh, I think that it's it's a good place to begin. Sure. Okay, so YouTube is kind of a starting point, yeah. and then you can delve deeper into, into these other places that are maybe more text-based, or, I mean, right. well, Discord has voice. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm sure right. that's a part of it, yeah. Yep, yep, and now Twitter has um, spaces and everything. So that's you true. Can, you know, that yeah. is, that's very true. So, so there's all this discussion that's going on online, and I certainly get the feeling, and I'm wondering if you get the same feeling, that I think it has sort of intensified, certainly in the last few years maybe related to COVID. Is that something that you've seen? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, COVID, uh, the reality was that COVID was shutting people out of the churches. And unfortunately, you know, as much as we wanted to, in many places we couldn't go. And we had to live stream services, which is something that I'd like to, uh, you know, circle back to in yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we were we were in our homes. And right. really, uh, we wanted still to experience our faith. And so we would live stream, we would attend church if we could, whatever the sure. situation might have, sure. have been, how late into COVID we were, whatever it was. And so, yeah, I think online is really where a lot of us started to go. And we were able to have interaction with people on there who thought similarly to us, have debate on there, and begin to understand our faith more and and see it in context, Interesting, um, which I think is important. Yeah, I mean, so it sounds like COVID was the driving factor um, or, or perhaps the dominant factor in terms of just physically not being able to go there. Because I, I like what you said about the um, online discussion being an extension of parish life in a way mm-hmm. where uh, it's almost a substitute. And so if you suddenly take away uh, the parish, then, you know, what's left is online basically right, right? absolutely um, yeah and and uh you know like i said i think that the friendships that uh can be formed from something like that online are are you know fantastic absolutely. and, and that's one of the benefits right yeah that's right yeah yeah and there's pros and cons let's could i you mentioned um streaming i just want to kind of do a brief aside on live streaming services so um, does your parish do that or did the parish that you went to growing up? We, so we do not. My home parish, uh, is, um, they've never live streamed actually. Wow. Um, okay. so they, throughout the whole of COVID, there was never, uh, never any live. Was that discussed or was there a reason for that? Maybe I am not aware. Okay. Sure. That's <laughs> I, right. I, I'm sure we're not all party to these, these discussions, right? Right. right. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm sure it was a decision coming from uh, the top down and okay. I didn't disagree. I, I thought it was fine. I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly 
there are certainly benefits to live streaming. There's no doubt, uh, especially at a time like COVID where like, especially in the Greek church, when most of the churches were shut down, there was really no other way to access the divine services except yeah. for through a live stream. I think that one of the big problems that comes with that is people might get a little bit too comfortable watching divine liturgy on Sunday in their pajamas with a cup of coffee in their hand. And yeah. yeah. It, the, the problem is that this is, uh, this is the liturgy. This is the most important part of our week. And Absolutely. we shouldn't just be sitting there in, in, in PJs and watching it with our family. I mean, ultimately, it, what it is is you're not fully participating. That's right. I mean, every, I think everyone agrees that that looking at a live stream is inferior to, to being at the actual service. Absolutely. Right? I mean, not just in church, like any anything, right? It's just an image versus the actual thing itself, right. right? So everyone agrees about that. And I guess... During COVID, it was seen maybe by a lot of people as a necessary measure. Sure. Um, you know, maybe something is better than nothing. Sure. Uh, although maybe not. I, I so personally, my parish. Um, I grew up going to St. John's in D.C. We actually live streamed services even before COVID. I don't quite know the details of why we started doing that, or you know who was the driving force behind that, but. That is something that we started, I believe, all the way back in 2017. And so when COVID uh, began and when churches were shutting down, we got a lot of random, view you know, our viewership would go from, you know, maybe a couple dozen people on a, on a Sunday morning to, to thousands. Right. Um, and people would tune in based on the, the, the live chat from, you know, Greece and Russia and Eastern Europe and obviously all the big Orthodox countries, um, North America. So it was, I mean, it was something that I think was helpful to people at that particular time. And I can imagine that maybe one of the reasons we did it even before COVID was, um, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to some people and, and especially, you know, mothers with very young kids or, um, you know, some, some situation where for whatever reason, a person just physically can't make it to church, even if they usually make it every Sunday. And so for them, it's just sort of a little substitute, kind of a temporary thing, definitely not a long-term solution and definitely not meant to replace actually going physically to church, right? Right, Which I guess is the risk that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah. that uh, that really conditions us because when we start to sit there and watch the services, we forget that when we are in church, you know, we are surrounded by the communion of saints. You know, we look at the icons around us mm -hmm. and we see the saints staring back. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, receiving the Eucharist is the most important part of being in church. And no it's, doubt. it's critical that we are there for that. So to condition ourselves or to allow for ourselves to be conditioned to just watch the services, it starts to uh, significantly lower the value that we place on being in church on time on a Sunday morning. And that's I right. think that unfortunately that's a little bit of a sign of a degradation of our culture. And that's something that we really have to watch out for. So the question with live streaming, the way that I myself have always viewed it is, Yes, this can have a good, it can be a good short-term solution, but when has that run its course, right? See, when do we reach the point where we should no longer be doing this? Well, and, and some churches uh, use that, I guess, as a temporary solution and have, and now they, and now that COVID's kind of wind down, wound down, they no longer, they no longer do that. Right. Absolutely. There was a, uh, you know, a, a priest who I saw on Twitter actually a couple of days ago who was saying it is time to remove the cameras and the live streaming services from the churches. Interesting. And I, Interesting. I, you know what, I was saying this several months ago and I, I think that I've understood at this point that most of us are fully back in church. You know, um, we are comfortable with being around other people and we're ready to get back into it. And I think that, regardless of what your stance has been on it from the beginning, it's about time to let go of this. Yeah. So um, that's... You know, I, I tend to agree. I, I think that 
um, you know, there is some utility kind of as I alluded to before in, in just live streaming in general, regardless of, you know, a pandemic situation or not. But I guess the question is, um, should every church be doing that, right? Because I think that when when St. John's in D.C. started this, and they're not the only ones, I think the Synod does it as well, right? And, and, and some other churches um, in Russia and elsewhere. When they started doing this, the, the aim was that not every church would be live streaming, that for those who really do need this service, for whatever reason, it's there. But the internet is, is nice because, you know, once one church is live, I mean, the, the, you know, Christ the Savior Cathedral in Moscow can be live streaming, and that's pretty much all you need, right? Because you're not having that physical aspect. It doesn't, it's not really relevant whether or not it's your local parish or not. So, you know, I think that uh, maybe what you're saying is the best solution for most parishes is, is, is not to maybe necessarily distract mm -hmm. themselves with this activity that, that is no longer needed. Right. Um, I, I, is that... I, I, in my opinion, I don't see it to be fruitful at this point. Right. And that's that's just the reality where we are right now with COVID and with everything else. Mm -hmm. So, but but do you, do you agree that maybe uh, there's some use for for some churches to do it? Absolutely. I, I don't know. I mean, it, that's a an area of discussion. I right. Guess. Right. Yeah. I think the cathedrals. It's a good idea. Like you were saying, even St. John's was doing it beforehand. Sure. Sure. And that's that's important. You know, when you have uh, a couple of churches in the states. I mean, you know, and this is an idea to throw out there. It's not like this will be set in stone, but maybe one in each time zone. Right. And that way, you know, you have everyone who can watch. Oh, the interesting, interesting. You know, if they're, if they're sick or whatever else. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's important, yeah. obviously, even if you are sick or whatever else, you're not attending church on a Sunday morning, you should still be saying your prayers. And that's, oh, you know, right. something to, to remember. So Well, exactly. It, it's, a, it's a prompt and it's, it's not meant as a substitute, but right. it's, it's like you said, yeah. No, I, I, I like the idea of one in every time yep, zone. I yep. think that's great. If we could have 24 live streams <laughs> yes, going, right, um, that would be fantastic. Yeah. So, but let's get back to, um, you know, we, we mentioned the reason why a lot of people don't want to continue spending a lot of time and energy on these live streams is because of the disembodied aspect, right? You're not fully participating in what is ultimately the most important part of your, you know, your week. So in terms of the online Orthodox discussion that is, so popular and I think is um, sucking in so much of people's attention. Mm -hmm. Is there a negative aspect to that? Is there a risk of maybe becoming too involved in those types of discussions at the expense of, let's say, physically going to church or, or helping your parish, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I think that that's something that we can see online too, is that a lot of us, we, we get wrapped up in these very, very deep theological topics, which are fun to talk about and they're sure. fun to read about. As a seminarian, right. I'm sure you love that. <laughs> it's sure. great, you know, and I yeah. love, you know, especially church history. Oh, yeah. But the the issue is that how spiritually ready are we to tackle these problems? And this is something that I've had to really struggle with myself because it's like if I can't follow a basic prayer rule that my priest gives me, how qualified am I to talk about serious theological topics? If I can't pray and you know work on my own uh, spiritual life, then I have no business going around. And so, so you're saying a lot of these people. They have they put considerable time and energy, but they're not they're not the experts, right? right? I mean, Absolutely. the church has a structure and a hierarchy specifically for this reason, right? To to prevent, I guess, unnecessary commentary and speculation that might lead people astray, right? Um, I mean, well, I guess now you're a seminary and now you're actually studying this stuff. Obviously, you're not a priest yourself, but do you feel like maybe there is uh, there are some 
tendencies of people to go in directions where maybe they shouldn't? In, yes. In, in what you've seen online? Yes. Uh, there are, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes online oh, yeah. on, on almost any different topic. And next thing you know, you find yourself reading about it for hours and hours and hours and the day's gone by. And it's like, right. was this really worth my time? You know, sure. did I really need to read news article after news article after news article or whatever else? And it, it's, it's, a, it's a distraction from your spiritual life. It can very easily become that. So I think that what we need to work on addressing is, you know, as much as it's good to evangelize online, because mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. internet is, in my view, the next area that we need to evangelize, because, you know, that's where agree. things are going, you know, and that's, that's why we're why doing this podcast. Right, exactly. There you that's go. I got the show yeah. and everything. And yeah. it, it's, uh, it's very, very important. Now, I think that as much as that's great, we also need to work on our parish life and make sure that we're contributing in a beneficial way to our parish life. So whether that's yeah. joining a brotherhood, like my home parish has the brotherhood, sure. and it's you know a group of young men who get together, we clean the parish, we help out around the town that the parish is located in, whatever else, you know. And that's fantastic. It is. It's a great time, and we have meals together. Yeah. It's it's about fellowship, about fellowship, and about. Uh, assistance within the parish and sure. understanding our role as the men of the parish, um, married and single. Well, and, and physically being there too. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, the elephant in the room is when you're on your computer, you're in these textual or whatever video. I mean, it's just not right. You're just not getting that, uh, that throughput of information that you get when you're physically sitting with right. someone. Right. Absolutely. And then, and, and the thing of it is you can't hold someone accountable from 500 miles away. You can't oh, say, Hey, you know, you go to church. Why haven't you been in church the last couple mm, of Sundays? Mm, you know, mm. why have you not been attending the brotherhood meetings? Why have you, but if you are physically there, you can help each other. So, so let me just kind of rephrase that. Cause I, I actually hadn't considered that. So you're saying that people and people, I mean, people do hold each other accountable in these groups, in these, right. It's like, um, I didn't see you last Sunday. Is everything okay? Where are you? What's going on? Right. So that's not present online uh, at all, I guess. Well, not not quite to the same degree. Not to the same because people right. just don't know. I mean, sure. obviously, most sure. people online are anonymous when sure. when we're talking about these sorts of things, and right. you know, which has a whole other uh, a whole. I, I could go on about uh, anonymity online as well, which Jordan Peterson has been. Maybe talking maybe about. we could we could put a pin in that and maybe <laughs> sure. come back to it. That's a very interesting yeah topic. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, I think that uh, that's the problem is these people are not being able to hold each other accountable. And when you're in person, it's, it's very different. I know a lot of guys at my home parish, they go work out together because they live near each other. And it's like, yeah. you know, we go to church together, we go work out together we, and they form this bond of fellowship that is, it's really sacred. And I think that it's critical for a young man to have. So that's one of the key elements of parish life is having that bond with your brothers and sisters in Christ at the parish and then being able to set an example for visitors to the parish, visitors to orthodoxy, inquirers, catechumens, these people who come into the faith and they don't know what it's about at all except for the example that you yourself are setting. So that's something where you can't do that on Twitter. You can't do it, not to the same degree, as far as how you conduct yourself. You can set an example, but I guess what it is is maybe we run the, well... It's the Wild West, right? right? There's no structure, authority, accountability. Right. So, you know, you're just another drop in the ocean, so right. to speak, right? right. So, people, yeah. you, the difference in, is that in person you have a presence. People will, you know, you go up, you introduce yourself, shake their hand, make them feel welcome as and, a visitor. And we're getting into, well, we are getting into the anonymity aspect, right? right? Because when you're anonymous, there are no repercussions for saying things that are, whether it's extreme yeah. and you're maybe you're a, you're a troll or you're personally, you're uh, deliberately provoking, or, um, you know, if you say something that's slightly wrong, like 90% correct, but maybe there's a wrong detail in there, something that, uh, you know, if you were, I don't know, sitting in your church hall during, uh, you know, trapeze or coffee hour, and your priest might might catch you and say, oh, well, you know, actually, it's not quite sure. 
that that's not going to happen, right? Online, well, I will say that there definitely are, like like I said, there are members of the clergy online, and they do a decent job of, I, I guess, policing almost and making can sure you, that... Actually, can you say, do you know off the top of your head anyone who, um, you know, would be a good authority who is online in terms of clergy? Sure. Uh, Father John Whiteford is actually a priest who I'm very familiar with, and sure. I know he, he's well-liked by a lot of my friends. Yeah. I know him. Uh, we met online, actually, and uh, he's a great, great man. And uh, uh, the stuff that he boasts, I, I agree with. And I sure. love seeing him, you know, when it, when he how he deals with others because it's very charitable and it's it's kind, it's appropriate. And it's appropriate of a member of the clergy. And Absolutely. that's something that we cannot, even if we are anonymous online, we cannot forget that we are a human being speaking with another human being. And I think that it's it's an interesting psychological experiment to see how people behave anonymously online versus if they had a public profile. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's a whole other story, but mm -hmm. that's critical to understanding how we interact with each other. It's just, you know, do I have this love for my brother in Christ, even though I have no idea who this man is? Sure. Am I sure. still able to behave in a charitable way? Sure. And it's hard. It's very hard. Oh, there, the temptation is always there. You know, it's it's like um, uh, there were discussions kind of, I guess, pre-internet, but when cars were a thing, like road rage. It's like, why do people get so irrationally mad when it's, you know, a car maybe cutting them off, whereas if a person did that to them in real life, they would probably be very deferential and say, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, but if it's a car, and I think it's, it is that uh, aspect of it's not, you don't see the person, mm -hmm. you just see some physical inanimate object, right. and it, it just kind of allows you to go crazy a little bit, you know, I mean, you, you really, you, you know, people lose it, and online, it's, it's, I guess it's even worse, because the depth of interaction that you can have online is, is so much deeper but it's no more—it's no more personal. You don't see the person. I mean, mm -hmm. their eyes, their their body language, their all the all the nonverbal cues and all that. So I mean, I, that sounds like it's kind of uh, the root of the problem. Yeah, in that area, right? Yeah, definitely. There's a yeah. quote actually by Saint Seraphim of Sarov uh, yeah. that I really like yeah. that pertains to all of this. Um, you cannot be too gentle, too kind. Shun even to appear harsh in your treatment of each other. Joy, radiant joy, streams from the face of one who gives and kindles joy in the heart of one who receives. Yeah, I, I love that. That's amazing. I, I think that, that that's amazing. you know when you, whether we're cultivating uh, our spiritual life with our, our brothers and sisters in person or whether we are online, it's important to remember to have that you know uh, spirit of joy that we can give to other people, and you know always remember that we're we're not out here trying to ruin people's day. It doesn't make it, sense. But is it is it a lost cause? I mean, not to sound pessimistic here, but I. It, it sounds like we both agree that the fundamental nature of online interaction kind of leads us to this this darker place, um, you know, or, or at least kind of, you know, makes it that much more exponentially difficult to really have those positive interactions. Um, I mean, is it a lost cause or, or, I mean, should we still strive for that even if it is perhaps not fully possible? I think we still should. Even, okay. even if we're just one person, you yeah, never know yeah. the following that you could garner up and then people will see your example. Just like how we're supposed to be examples in our parishes for those around us, you know, whether point. they're fellow Orthodox Christians or visitors, yeah. whatever it might be, yeah. we should be the same online as much as we can. Well, like you said, you, you, I like that bit where you said you don't know how much of a following you can get because it's true. I mean, things go viral. Things go, you know, you can get thousands or millions of viewers from a comment that you just did not expect. I mean, it's it's happened to me and it's happened to many people. And that's a really good point that actually, in a way, it's almost... Uh, even more of an obligation because you don't know. I mean, your example could be seen by millions of people, right? Right. That's the power of online, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. You never know who's watching. You just don't. And and who, whose life could be changed. Sure. And that's something that, 
you know, we, we really want to work to set the example as Orthodox Christians, as, you know, lights of the world, wherever we are. Sure. And, uh, you know, a, a big part of that, it comes from being able to, uh, like I said before, understand our place in our own spiritual life and uh, understand our relationship with our priest or, you know, if we have a spiritual father with our spiritual father yeah. and understanding that we are always going to have a lot of work to do on ourselves sure. and that we should approach everything with this sort of humility. You yeah. Know? You know, I'd like to get into some of the details, I guess, while, while we're focusing on the cons of, of online orthodoxy, if we can call it that, how would you kind of, in your experience in that, in that sphere, contrast um, maybe some of the things that get a lot of weight and attention and discussion uh, in those circles? You mentioned deep theological issues um, as opposed to, let's say, things that matter in real life or, you know, things that, things that people talk about in real life. What, what are some of the differences there? I think that people in real life tend to talk about very pastoral issues and they're a little bit more practical. Um, you know, how they should deal with a family who's not Orthodox when they themselves have converted to Orthodoxy. How do they, uh, you know, try and bring their family to church? How do they show them what the faith is? Things like that. Right. And that is a discussion online. But the difference is that online, it's kind of this merging of minds. And there are, there are like I said, a lot of intelligent people. Sure. And they want to talk about things more like, uh, you know, the church's view of origin. And, you know, sure. they, they, sure. they want to talk about his uh, theological conceptions. Origin, and, the, the scholar. the theist. Yes, yes, right. That's yep. right. And this is something that, it's an intense topic, and there are a lot of layers to it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's something that's fun to talk about, but sure. are we really ready for a conversation like that? And the problem is that these conversations on Twitter uh, or wherever else can go on and on and on and, and on. And, and people might get, people who are new to the faith and people who are being exposed to it might get the impression that that's kind of what it's about, right? right? And, and But it's really not. Right. I mean, it, like you said, the pastoral issue of, um, you know, just who's going to make the food on Sunday after church or something is way more important than than uh, origin on an individual you know personal level right um, so I mean there is that kind of risk of misleading and, and so there's kind of the, the, the theological discussion um, I don't know is, is, is there anything else that you think might be overemphasized online a lot of the politics you politics. know it's always fun I myself yeah. love talking about politics and sure. I can do it all day and I I probably read too much of the news um, but you know it, the the problem is that it can very easily become a spiritual distraction and that's why we have our priests and our friends in real life to keep us in check right you know right. to it, 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 it would be a good idea to have you know your priest maybe even follow you on Twitter if he has, you know, Twitter and, and or always keep that mindset. You know, if my priest were following me on Twitter, this is an interesting, I no, I, I like these. <laughs> this is good. I like these little nuggets that we can get out of this because this is a new phenomenon. Yes. I mean, this has never happened in history, in the history of Christianity, in the history of the world. So we are pretty much dealing with the kind of trial and error, figuring out how to navigate these things in a way that, that, uh, you know, brings us closer to God and, and just, you know, makes us better people. Right. So, Maybe one of those things is kind of, um, you know, allowing your your parish priest to to ha kind of, well, I don't know what to call it. I guess see your online presence or or be involved. You know, the sure. same the same way that your parish priest would be involved in your physical presence. Absolutely. Well, because otherwise you're living a double life. 
if, if you feel like the yeah. need to hide it yeah. from your priest, mm-hmm. well, then what are you really doing? You know, when you're there in confession. <laughs> Should you be really doing that? Right, right. Yeah. And, and it's a yeah. struggle that I myself have had. And it's, it's tough yeah. because, you yeah. know, again, that issue of anonymity where no one knows who you are. And sure. I can say whatever I want. And it opens sure. up a can of worms, a Pandora's box. And it's, it, it just becomes a question of how will you conduct yourself knowing that there's a high chance that people will never know who you are. And, you know, obviously you run risks with that, being doxxed and whatever else. And that's always a dangerous game to play but um that again goes back to the political issue it's it's just uh you know people they get very riled up and uh, it doesn't matter what what you believe in you get very riled up and you want to speak the truth and say you know what what we believe as orthodox christians or what you know you believe as you know a conservative or whatever it sure, might be sure sure and and in, in the and, online space right right, you, right. you're tempted to yeah, just I guess really kind of be a, an info warrior, right? Or, or you know, <laughs> right? Absolutely, and it's it, it's easier to do when you're anonymous and there's nothing at stake. So let's get into the the anonymity discussion because sure. I feel like we've alluded to it many times, and and we might as well address that issue, yep. right? So so there's obviously the fact, as we mentioned, that the person's not physically there. There's no nonverbal communication that creates huge possibility for both misunderstanding and kind of the incentive. To, to really not act the way you normally would with, with a person, right? I mean, yeah, that's right. You know, and, and I've met uh, some people online who have anon accounts and anonymous, that is, and they are hilarious. I mean, these are, these are some yeah. of the greatest people. Oh, yeah. and, and I, it, I, I can tell you that for sure. Yeah, yeah. and it's wonderful. You know, it's, uh, it's really cool getting to know these people, even with just their anonymous uh, online profile and um, making friends in that way. And it's cool. Right. And you can share a little bit uh, about yourself, your own parish life, and you never get to know each other really on a super personal level, but understanding a little bit about each other and just making new Orthodox friends is always a cool thing. Uh, Yeah, but the issue is there's always that temptation. It's like, okay, if I'm anonymous here online, I can say whatever I want. The world is at my fingertips. So the the temptation to insult and berate others becomes a lot, a lot more prevalent. And that's something that I have seen a lot of my friends struggle with. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's important, again, to have priests Probably online. a certain type of person. I mean, yep. uh, sorry to cut you sure, off there, no. but I mean, it, it, I, I feel like, you know, there are, you know, they say kind of there's this top 5% or whatever of more confrontational, disagreeable, sort of aggressive individuals, probably mostly male, right? Um, and I guess those are really the people who start to come out of the woodwork if you if, if, if they don't have that level of control over themselves, which I think is important to to build for anyone, but, you know, if you give them the opportunity, those are some of the people. So what I'm saying is, I guess, is most people probably aren't engaged in truly sort of harmful or destructive right. behavior on a large scale, but there are a few who really, really do a lot of right. stuff. Right, and yeah. they do. And and yeah. I think most people, when it comes to this, they just want to laugh. They just want to have fun. Oh, sure, and, sure. And they're very good-hearted people. For every truly malicious person, there's 10 or, or 100 who just want to have fun and, and joke around and... And maybe it's not clear, right? Who, right. What, what, what the joke is? <laughs> right. I mean, it just doesn't come across online, right? Right. So. Right. Yeah. And you know, when I was online, I had a, a public profile, and I it's sure. I, I've always been a little bit more of a serious person. I've never been too much of a jokester, and I think that that just carried over into my into my Twitter personality sure, or, sure, or sure. you know YouTube, whatever. And I think that it it's just because that's the way that I am, and that's how a lot of these people are, and they sure. you know for whatever reason would prefer to remain anonymous, whether it's that they don't want to get in trouble with their job or whatever it might be. And I think that there are completely valid reasons for remaining anonymous. And this is where I've seen recently, you know, Jordan Peterson has come out and said that, you know, if you have an anonymous profile, you are a narcissist. And I, <laughs> I don't think that that's a, that's an interesting take. Right. It is. Yeah, it is an yeah, interesting yeah. take. There's a lot 
lot to that. I mean, is. I think there's some, there's definitely some truth to it because I'm, I think what he's describing, and I actually, I, I followed Peterson closely up to a point, but I'm not familiar with that quote, but he seems to be talking about, I guess, a certain percentage of those on anonymous people, right? Who, I guess there's people who just want to, whether it's like get people's reactions to what they're saying or just, just hear themselves talk or see themselves type, right? Yep. And, and they don't want to deal with the negative consequences that would be, you know, would happen if that was associated with their persona or their profile. And so they just they just have at it. Sure. Right? And, and maybe I, that's what he's talking about. That very well could be. I think he's being, you know, very specific and he, you know, right. wants to people he he was getting upset with people disagreeing with something that he was saying and they sure. were major uh, majority anonymous. Right. Now, I think that the same can be said for people who have a public profile online. It's like maybe right. they are a narcissist because they can't keep their their uh, persona concealed. They can't. They can't yeah. keep. They want their face to be out oh, there. Yeah. They want. Yeah. And they are, that, that, so it exists on both ends of the spectrum. And I yeah. think that saying you know just flat out, if you have an anonymous profile, you're a narcissist, is way too much of a blanket statement. And I think that you got good people who are anonymous for whatever reason that they are, and sure, they're trying sure. to you know preserve. It's their, their it, own yeah. Life. It sounds like, and and this is something that. I guess I've also kind of noticed um, content of, of Peterson's that's more interesting to me is his uh, biblical symbolism lectures. So, um, and I'm not the only one. I know, I personally know several people who are recent converts to orthodoxy and, you know, I kind of get to talking with them and they said, oh, you know, there's this guy, uh, Jonathan Pajot. Have you heard of him? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of <laughs> oh, him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've watched hundreds of hours of him. For so, sure, good. Sure. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's a force and, and I guess what I'm curious, you mentioned this kind of offline is what is the, what are some of the maybe criticisms of him? Not to get too deep on that. I'm just curious myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of people, I have, honestly, I haven't heard much uh, criticism of of Jonathan Peugeot. I think that maybe people want a a deeper dive. I'm not really sure. Um, and part of the reason I'm asking is because again, like I've followed him so much and so many other people that I've spoken to personally, like have really followed him. And I wonder, you know, is there any kind of risk, um, to that? And honestly, maybe that's a better question for a priest, but maybe you've heard some of the meta arguments. I don't know. Not particularly. I, I, again, I haven't really done enough of a, of a dive into, uh, into Jonathan Peugeot, but I, I hope to, and I've, everything really that I've heard about him has encouraged me in that direction to check him out. Yeah. I would, I would check out, um, in terms of just kind of materials that are out there, his brother, Mathieu wrote a book called the language of creation. And it's interesting. It's, it's not like a typical scholarly work. It's pretty much just him, uh, Mathieu Peugeot's background is as a computer scientist. So, so he, you know, everything is very kind of systematized and he pretty much just says, look, um, and, and this is something that Peugeot has said that I think is, is true is the fact that people like Peugeot and Peterson, and, and I'm sure many others have to explain symbolism really is a sign that things are not great. I mean, the fact that, uh, People, you know, take the book of Genesis, for example. I mean, it's part of the Western canon. You know, I read it in high school. Uh, it was assigned to me in college. So at this point, it's like, you know, assigned by so many of these Western. And it's like, it, it, it's just, I think nobody understands, uh, how, especially the Western world, because we are so materialist and removed from symbolism, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, people just don't understand this stuff. Um, and so, so Mathieu Peugeot, the book that I was talking about, he basically lays it all out. Um, and it, it's a little bit dangerous because these are not ideally things that should be explicitly said, but he says, look, uh, you know, you're standing there, right? You're a person. Everything is of course centered on human experience and there's heaven and earth. Um, and, and none of this is controversial, by the way. I know that, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of different, uh, authorities and all that, but 
yeah, you know, there's there's heaven above you and earth below you. And then, of course, you can go, you know, forward, back, left, right. There's certain symbolism for the left hand, the right hand, um, you know, and, and that's present in iconography, the church architecture, the gospel, the rest of the Bible. So he kind of just lays it all out very explicitly. So it's interesting. It's it's not, you know, by, by the Peugeot brothers' own admission, it's not something that really should be spelled out, ideally. But because the modern world is so removed from this stuff, and I think so many people certainly myself and maybe other people who are more uh, logically minded, um, you know, people who are kind of in that uh, or maybe were in that materialist mindset, it's super helpful because it's just that spark that I think, I, I didn't even finish the whole book. I just read the first half of it and I'm like, okay, I get it now. Right. Like, like just, just, it just opens the door. Right. So right. I, I would recommend The Language of Creation Great. by uh, Mathieu Peugeot. So. I'll, I'll absolutely have to check that out. Yeah, and I think that's maybe even part of the pipeline that you were yeah. talking about, you know, yeah. Where with someone right. like Jordan Peterson, it might be from like clean your room, you know. Yeah. So like yeah. you know, working really understanding uh, our how the shape that our external life is in affects our internal. So so sorry, life. just just because I know not everyone might be familiar with that concept, right? The pipeline refers to, you know, Jordan Peterson obviously has you know a huge reach, uh, millions of viewers, and um, the so that gets people interested in biblical symbolism, and and he does mention orthodoxy explicitly yes. from time to time. And from there, a certain percentage of people kind of go down that funnel of, uh, okay, they look more into orthodoxy. They might be introduced to Jonathan Peugeot, right. for example, um, and others as well. Yes. Um, and from there, then they start to say, okay, wow, um, this is real. Yep. This is the truth. Yep. And maybe I should start finding an orthodox church. Right, um, absolutely. And yeah. countless people so, that so I've that, that's, that's the pipeline. Right. Yeah. And, and as right. you said, so many people that you've met, people that I've met, and I'm surprised because, like, th this is new to me. I mean, right. I grew up in the Russian church. Um, it's, you know, what they call an ethnic church, right? And um, it's just, if you really look, th kind of take a step back, it's kind of mind-boggling that Americans would be joining a Russian church. I mean, Anglo-Americans who have no relation to, you know, whether it's Greek or Russian. I'm sure all the Orthodox churches are seeing this phenomenon. Like, people are just coming in. That's right. And, and that's, it's huge. It, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And you see so many of these people coming from various different backgrounds. And a lot of them are brought to the faith by people like Jonathan Peugeot, by people like Jordan Peterson, by Jay Dyer, whoever else it might be who has an online persona. And that's why the online orthosphere is so important. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, it's very important to cultivate an appropriate uh, and proper perspective of orthodoxy online to show people that we practice what we preach, that we yeah, really believe yeah. this. And it brings a, a lot of people in. Now, one thing that you said, you know, about uh, Americans being attracted to a Russian church, yeah. it's something, it's a, it's, it is an amazing concept. I myself, I was brought up in the Greek church and I came to the Russian church in 2020. Okay. And um, I had several different reasons for, for making that switch. Sure. And I, I've met a lot of people who have, a lot of fellow Greeks who have done the exact same thing. And there's there's definitely a huge uh, attraction to the Russian church. And I think that, you know, we, we have done a good job in, in uh, Rokor. That's really all that I've experienced as far as the Russian church. Sure, goes, sure, In, in sure. Rokor of preserving the Orthodox tradition in its fullness. And I yeah. think that that's something that is is very difficult to do in the modern day, right? It, it's it's hard in a world that is so materialistic and a world that is so focused on uh, post-enlightenment ideology and progressivism. How do we maintain against that cultural tide? How do we maintain our tradition? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a world. It's the world that we're in. But I mean, we are in the West, right? right? We're in where you and I are in the United States. I mean, 
uh, this is the the epicenter of that, I think. Oh, absolutely it's, it is. It's so, beast, so, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So without going too deep into that, but yeah, um, totally. I mean, we, we are, yeah, we're in the belly of the beast um, being being in the U.S. in this, in this center of this materialist kind of uh, worldview. Yep. And so it's tough for us. And, and, you know, and so I guess what you're saying is specifically maybe the Russian church, um, you know, again, there's, there's all sorts of different viewpoints on that, but I think it's fair to say that they have been probably more rigid yep. when it comes to certain things as opposed to other other groups or other forms yeah, of orthodoxy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and it, it's a really hard thing to do. And I think that one issue that I've heard a lot of converts who have come, whether it's from online or elsewhere, yeah. one thing that they ha- have to talk about and that they really want to understand better is, you know, the, the emphasis on culture in the church and why, you know, we do have things like bazaars in the Russian church or like Greek sure, festival sure. in the Greek church. And I think that a lot of American converts who have no real ethnic ties to uh, the Russians or the Greeks or the Serbs or Romanians, they, they don't really feel welcome necessarily when it comes to this or they don't understand why we do it. And I think that, I mean, that's a topic for a whole other podcast. Oh, but, absolutely. You know, I think that it's important to understand that part of honoring and understanding our tradition and maintaining that tradition is understanding our culture. And I think that it's as much as the ethnic part is certainly not the center of the church. No, not at all. Right. It's an important thing that many of us share. And when like, you know, my uh, family came over from Greece, Mm -hmm. you know, they Mm -hmm. entwined their culture with their faith and they wanted you know to find fellow greeks so where did they go they went to the orthodox church and i'm sure it was the same with absolutely absolutely the same with the russian situation totally the same yeah and and that's that's just a reality that we're in now and in america you know we have a lot of different ethnic groups and it, it especially when it comes to orthodoxy there is not one orthodox jurisdiction in america and that's really a problem that is unique to america that's not it is something yeah. that greece or russia have to deal with at least to such an extent they have the old calendars right. groups and whatever it, it's else. unique to um i guess areas of the world that are not historically orthodox right but and and you know there's there's um America is special because it is both not historically orthodox and it's an area of sort of wide open space and potential. And and we're seeing now the large scale, I guess, interest and attention that's being drawn to orthodoxy, right? Right. Um, Absolutely. I guess just just to pull it back briefly to yeah. the to the main theme, I you know I love all these discussions, and it, it's it's like the um, benefit, I guess, of of some of this this online stuff is that it does bring, I guess, just to say it explicitly, it brings people to the church. Absolutely. There's right? no question about it. We are doing a podcast and we're discussing things, but but ultimately there are questions, you know, there's a reason we have a church structure and there are questions um, that are discussed online that really are most appropriately answered by priests yes. and by people who have the correct training and experience that's right. and are sanctioned by the by the structure. So that's I think right. that's, that's just worth saying, uh, even if there's no nothing to, you know, no conclusion from that. But Well, no, I think, I think that's actually a great point because yeah. a lot, like I was saying at the beginning, a lot of these deep theological discussions tend to go on and on sure. and on. It's a whole thread and whatever else. And the problem is that both side, both sides just end up getting more entrenched in their own arguments and no conclusion is resolved. I've encountered this right. several times. Right. I think that if people are truly curious and not just looking to argue, they're going to go to the source. They will ask a priest. They will ask, you know, so that's where when I would start getting into these debates, I'd say, you know what? Ask a priest. To, to conclude, I guess it, it would be nice to think about, I mean, what are your thoughts on how do we connect 
all this energy and stuff that's going on online, how do we translate that into into reality? Maybe a little bit more. Yeah, it's it's not an easy task, and it's yeah. something where we do have so much of this passionate energy about our faith. And I think the number one thing is asking our priest, "What can I do to help?" And you know that way we are able to look at our parish more as our family and that we are assisting our family. We are assisting each other to grow spiritually because our salvation is interdependent and it's sure, important to remember sure. that. And we need to work on helping each other come to Christ and through that set an example that will be more appropriately reflected online. If we start to cultivate our spiritual lives through helping one another, then it's going to be reflected in every aspect of our life. And it's going to show when new inquirers come into the church, when we have catechumens who are there and they're seeing your example, especially especially if you have a little bit of a role online and if a little bit of fame maybe sure. and people are looking at you and maybe they even came to the parish or to the orthodox church because of it, you it happens right yeah, certainly you know? um so. and 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 so it's like yeah no I, I first of all i agree with that and i think that maybe one way to characterize it is to say um you know take that that i guess that zeal and that fervor that you might have in the online space and and almost think of it in terms of right like what's the next step i mean once these people come in and once they are looking for examples like you said they i mean they want to see a, uh, first of all, good people, right? But also a healthy, thriving parish that's actually functional, um, warm, welcoming, you know, uh, helpful for the soul. And all those things, none of those things are going to happen unless people get physically involved. That's right. Absolutely. Right. And, uh, you know, you got you to gotta ask your priest what you can do to help. And, you know, yeah. it comes with very basic things. I'm sure he'll give you an answer. You know, bring something for coffee. Oh, he, he will. You he know? will <laughs> give you an answer. He's got something. I guarantee you, you know. I have never heard of a situation where someone came to a priest saying, what can I do to help? And he says, oh, I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, we're okay. We're all right. We're you good. Know? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't happen. <laughs> so definitely do that. So I guess... Just a random final thought. Any tips for, you know, let's say uh, you're a young guy or gal and, and, you know, you're listening to this and you're interested in, I guess, getting involved in the media space or the info space or, or starting a podcast. I mean, just any quick tips or anything like that? Sure. Lessons learned? Yeah. I, you know, first off, ask your priest. Uh, talk to him what he thinks about it, if he thinks that you would be capable of doing something Good like idea. that, and whether he thinks it would be beneficial for the church. Right. And number two, obviously, get a blessing from your bishop. Uh, I think that that's something that's very important and overlooked in many in many cases. Yeah. And, and um, bishops are accessible. I mean, we, especially here in the U.S. It's rare. It's yeah. rare. It's, yeah. it's only in the U.S. Right. that it's like right. this. Right, right. Yeah. Because we're a little bit smaller and, and, and we have that more intimate access, you can... You can, in many cases, just go to a bishop. Yes. Right? Thank God. Um, thank God for that. Yeah, thank God. Because, <laughs> I mean, in Russia or in Greece or in other places, I mean, it's it's uh, oftentimes they're quite inaccessible. Absolutely. Um, so. Absolutely. So, okay. So get a blessing. I, I think that's good. No, I think it's because, you know, you, you, I mean... Of course, we're talking about the Orthodox context here. If you're, if you're someone who wants to, you know, say more about Orthodoxy, we got to make sure that it's, um, you know, going through proper channels, yep. I guess, for lack of a better word. That's so. right. That's right. Cool. All right. Well, Luke, thank you so much. It's been great to hear about your experience and talk about this stuff. So thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm sure we'll have future discussions as well. God willing. All right. All right.